and Answers begins right now. Social media is a huge part of modern culture today. It is estimated that over 4.5 billion people are part of social media, and most people spend nearly two and a half hours a day on the internet. What kind of effect is this having on the culture, individuals, and the church? How can we have a healthy social media life? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zukaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In our broadcast today, Pat interviews his guest, Chris Martin, as they discuss the benefits and the dangers of social media and how we can have a healthy social media life. Now, let's begin part one of this two-part interview. Here's our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Social media is a huge part of modern culture today. In fact, uh, not just in the West, but all over the world, it is estimated that over four and a half billion people are part of social media. And most people spend nearly two to two and a half hours a day on social media. Well, what kind of effect is it having on the culture, on individuals, and on the church? How can we have a healthy social media life? Well, to help us address this issue is Chris Martin. Chris is an editor of BibleToLife.com and a content marketing editor with Moody Publishers. And he's written a great book that we recommend we're featuring today on this show. And it's what we're talking about, The Wolf in Their Pockets. 13 Ways Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. So, Chris, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, Chris, social media is a big part of our culture today. Help us understand how big is social media. Man, social media is is massive. As you said there in the, in the introduction, uh, the average American use social media for two and a half hours a day. The average American adult uses social media for two and a half hours a day. And there's plenty of reason to believe that that's pretty true around the globe, at least in in Western countries and in countries that have regular access to the internet. There's not a whole lot, if you think about it, there's not a whole lot we do for two and a half hours a day, every day. We tend to sleep for over two and a half hours a day if we're getting a good night's sleep. And most of us who work are working for over two and a half hours a day. But beyond that, if you looked at your average day, it's unlikely you're doing anything for more than two and a half hours. Maybe, you know, if you had a particularly long meal, perhaps a dinner meeting, your total time eating in a given day might be over two and a half hours. And if you're a professional bodybuilder, maybe you're working out for two and a half hours. But then at that point, that's kind of work for two and a half hours. So there's just not really a whole lot. If you consider the average that an American adult uses social media for two and a half hours, um, there's just simply not a whole lot that we do for that long. And so when you just look at it in terms of raw time spent doing a particular activity, social media and you engaging with content on social media ranks toward the top of ways we spend our time. And so I think just from, like I said, from a raw numbers perspective, it's incredibly influential. And then if you look at all of the fruit of that time and what that kind of reeks in us and how that changes us and shapes our minds shapes how we understand what is true and what is false or what is good and what is bad. I think many of us, uh, whether we're Christian or not, frankly, can see the ways that social media changes not only the way people think, but what they value and how they connect with one another and how they believe even. 
And so I think all of us, to some degree at this point, social media has been pervasive in our culture for a number of years, for over a decade, maybe almost two decades, depending on how you define social media. And all of us, I think, are beginning to see the fruit of this ever-present discipleship force. And I think it's uh, well past time for those of us who are Christians and certainly those of us who consider ourselves any kind of Christian leader or discipler, it's well past time for us to consider how social media is actively discipling ourselves and the people we love more than just about anything else in our lives. Yes, you know, I was just at dinner uh, with some friends I hadn't seen for a while here in you know, Hawaii and their kids were just on the cell phone the whole time, you know, and trying to get their attention and things was pretty tough. And I know when I'm in Asia traveling and we're on the train, everybody is on their iPhone or cell phone looking at social media. Man, it just consumes a large part of our time. And a lot of people say, well, it it doesn't affect me. You know, I'm just being entertained or just passing time. But what you're saying in your book, when you spend that much time on social media, it has all kinds of effects on you. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And and look, I'm, I want to be clear, and I've, I've said this a lot, uh, both in writing this book and the book that I published a year ago called Terms of Service, that while I talk often and write often about the negative impacts of social media on our lives, spiritually, emotionally, and otherwise, I'm not anti-social media entirely. I use social media myself. I like social media. I think there's a lot of good, both for the kingdom and for our own selves, that can come from from engaging with social media. I've I've learned a lot by engaging with people on social media. I don't think it's wrong to laugh at a funny video on YouTube or things like that. I think there's a way, a number of ways, really, for us to engage with social media in wisdom and with discernment. But I think, however, that many of us simply ride the wave of social media and sort of passively engage without considering how social media is actively shaping us. And so by the time we start to realize, oh man, my values are changing because of who I follow and what I watch or what I read on social media, it's kind of too late. That bell is already rung and there's there's not a whole lot we can do about it. And so I think for us who want to use social media, and I think I think it's fine for people to abstain, but also I want to be clear, I don't think social media is 100% bad all the time. For those of us who choose to engage with social media in some respect, I think it's important for us to have a sort of measured approach, an intentional approach, where we find ourselves using social media rather than the alternative, which is much more common, even if it's a bit sneaky, where social media uses us. And so I think if we aren't careful and if we aren't intentional, social media can really start to use us rather than the inverse, which is us using it. And how that looks, I mean, that can manifest in a lot of different ways, but I think that looks like rampant anxiety, like we're seeing in culture today. I think that looks like believing all kinds of untruths that people who are tickling our ears tell us what we want to hear on social media. I think it can play out in so many ways, but I think it's incredibly important that that we use social media as a tool and as a resource as a means to engage culture rather than letting social media use us and sort of become all consuming. Yeah. You state that there are several ways people approach social media and you summarize it in three ways, uncritical embrace, intentional engagement, and uh, passive ignorance. Uh, Tell us about those three approaches and the one that you recommend. So maybe for the first is uncritical, the second passive, and then the last one is intentional engagement, kind of what you touched on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think you can look at social media 
your relationship with social media is sort of on a spectrum and either side of the spectrum is wrong in its own way. And then, uh, you know, I advocate for us to sort of live in the middle on the spectrum. So yeah, on the first side is uncritical embrace. I think one of the postures we have when we approach social media is one of uncritical embrace. And this is going to be more common among younger people, very generally speaking, though older and older people are becoming social media addicts all the time, I guess, if you want to say it, it used to be that social media was a quote, young person issue. That's certainly not the case anymore. But if you were to kind of stereotype or, or put some people in some general buckets here, young people tend to uncritically embrace social media a lot more. And uncritical embrace is quite simple. It looks like exactly what I talked about where, you know, some new platform comes out or some new feature comes out. And we simply, we ask no questions of it. We don't ask, what is this going to do to me? We don't ask, what are the values of this platform? We don't ask, what data is this platform going to take from me? We simply uncritically embrace whatever comes along. We don't ask hard questions, and we just look for another route to be entertained or informed or otherwise. And that's the sort of uncritical embrace. The other side, which is less common, but I think equally unhelpful, though some would like to say this is a bit more righteous, I think it's equally unhelpful, is a posture of passive ignorance. Mm-hmm. I think a posture of passive ignorance is, is more common among older people, uh, though not exclusive to them. Passive ignorance regarding social media is the sort of attitude that says, ah, social media is not a big deal. It's not that important. It's not real life. Like, stop caring about what's going on on social media. And that sounds, you know, that can sound righteous or, or, or wise or whatever. And, and in some degree, that's, there is some truth to those things. At the same time, I think a lot of us, especially those of us who are parents or Christian leaders, um, it can be quite foolish to be passively ignorant of yeah. social media mm-hmm. because we can ignore the ways that social media is impacting the people that we love and that we lead. And so I, I advocate for intentional engagement, which is, you know, if you're going to use social media, set time limits for yourself. Ask, hey, what is the what are the values of this platform? How is the algorithm designed to shape my mind? What are the incentives that, you know, what? What makes people go viral on here? Is it when they are mean to other people or is it when they're posting encouraging content? You know, asking hard questions is intentional engagement. And then even if you don't want to use social media at all, like you're like, hey, it's not for me. You can still participate in this healthy posture of intentional engagement, I think, by reading articles about social media, reading studies that come out about what social media does to people. I think you can have your finger, especially as a Christian leader, you can have your finger on the pulse of social media and what it's doing to your community and the people that you love without using it yourself. And I think that just means being well-read and and watching videos or, or listening to podcasts like this one on, on what is social media doing to people, even if I'm not going to have an account myself, I do as a leader want to be aware of the impacts it's having on our culture. Yes. You talk about in your book that there's a triplet cornerstone values of the social Internet and their entertainment, attention and identity. The triplet cornerstone values here. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, every social media platform is different and how social media platforms incentivize engagement and engineer their algorithms is different based on the platform. They're all generally the same. They, they encourage engagement with content, you know, likes and shares and retweets and whatever else. But I think the three sort of, you know, I like to think when you have all of these different platforms from YouTube to Facebook Meta, you know, all of their platforms to Twitter and TikTok, they're all different, like I said, but 
I like to kind of boil these things down and say, what are the sort of lowest common denominators? What are the things that are most important and most valuable to these platforms in terms of how they change us and engage our persona and our, you know, our minds and our hearts? And I think no matter the platform, whether you're on Twitter or YouTube or anything in between, I think the three cornerstone values of social media are entertainment, attention, and identity. And I think how this plays out is that which is most entertaining is given the most attention and how much attention one receives has become an important part of one's identity. And that which is given most attention is seen as more valuable as than that which is given less attention. Um, I see, I think, you know, we see this in the celebration of what goes viral. Everybody wants to go viral. You know, I used to work a lot in social media marketing. I ran social media for a Christian organization here in the United States. And, you know, there is a common question like, well, what would it take for us to go viral? And everybody, everybody wants to go viral because they want to be famous or rich or whatever else. And I think a lot of that is rooted in we just see that the thing that gets the most attention, if it got the most attention, it must be the most important. And so these values of entertainment and attention and identity are all sort of interwoven. And this is why you see so many people, young people today wanting to be influencers, because if they can get they can be entertaining enough to get a lot a lot of attention, it can shape their identity in their minds for the better, and in the minds of maybe some more mature folks, maybe not necessarily for the better. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that there's a sort of flywheel of what's important on social media. Entertainment is important because it gets you attention, and attention is important because it can shape your identity and form your understanding of who you are. And this is just sort of a vicious cycle, if you will, of how things can rotate and move through the internet. And if we're not careful, again, if we engage in this sort of uncritical embrace, we can get caught up in that without even recognizing it. Yeah. You know, you make a great point. And I think a lot of people know this, that social media changes what we believe, but also there's a direct correlation in how it affects our psyche and our emotions here. And you state in your book that there's a correlation between poor mental health and time spent on social media. Uh, So people need to be careful of not only, you know, how much time they spend on it, but the kind of things they are reading. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So there are there are a lot of studies over the last few years that have started to come out about increased social media use and increased mental health issues are correlated. Now, it's important to get a little wonky and nerdy here. Um, there have been very few studies, only one or two that I've seen people cite, that show a causative relationship between social media use and poor mental health. That means there's a clear connection between the more time you spend on social media, the worse your mental health is likely to be. However, there are scores, I think, of studies that show there seems to be a correlation, not strong enough to show X causes Y, but strong enough to show that, hey, if you spend a lot of time on social media, it's likely that your mental health is going to be in a worse state than if you didn't. And, And what's great, you know, sadly, As we move forward through time and as social media gets more mature and as our ability to conduct studies like these over a long period of time is increased as as we have more ability to do long-term studies, I think we're going to see more data like this coming out to show that social media use, especially among people under the age of 20, people who are still in school here in the States especially, I think we're going to see more and more data that shows that there are a lot of reasons why social media use increased social media use can lead to poor mental health. I think to 
point out one in particular, and this is often harped on by Jonathan Haidt, who's a professor at New York University. He's written a lot about this, especially regarding teenagers. And he focuses in on teen girls. So let me, let me explain this just as an example of social media use impairing mental health. Over the course of the last couple of decades, the last 10 or 12 years in particular, the rate of American girls who are committing some act of self-harm has skyrocketed. However, the rate of the same self-harm tendencies among teen boys has increased marginally, but nowhere near how it has among teen girls. And Jonathan Hyde, oh. who's a social psychologist, is sort of an why. And he's, he's uncovered social media use as the primary culprit. To very quickly summarize his thesis, it's this. He says, the way girls resolved conflict, you know, the way a teenage girl, you know, someone from the age of 13 to 17 resolves conflict is very different from the way a teenage boy is likely to resolve conflict. A teenage boy, you know, if, you've, if anyone listening has ever spent time in like a middle school locker room or a high school locker room or anything like that, teen boys are more likely to resolve conflict through physical altercation right? Through fighting each other, through pushing and shoving. This is the most common way that males, young males, uh, work out conflict is through physical altercation. However, young girls more commonly resolve conflict or, or have conflict through more social altercations and more psychological altercations. So this is going to come through gossiping about one another, backstabbing each other, turning one another's friends against each other. And so what Jonathan Haidt says, and I think he makes a great point, this is just logical. You don't have to be a social psychologist to see this if you've ever been a teenager. Social media exacerbates the way that teen girls resolve conflict much more than it exacerbates the way teen boys resolve conflict because social media hasn't really been, and it's just kind of logical, social media hasn't been shown to lead to more physical fights among teen boys. However, social media in some very obvious ways makes gossip and backstabbing and turning friends against one another far easier and more accessible through, you know, sending Snapchats after school or DMing on Instagram or bullying and comments on Instagram, things like that. And so it just makes total sense that teen girls who already have a hard time socially and experience mental health issues because of difficult social conflict, when you put something in their hands and in their pockets that supercharges social conflict and really just pours gasoline on that flame, it's going to make life exponentially harder on the teen girls who are working through those kinds of conflicts. And so that's just one example. Of, and now studies are coming out to show that kind of prove out that thesis. And so there's a great book that was published a few years ago before any of these determined, determinative studies came out called The Coddling of the American Mind, which does a really it's about a lot of different topics. But one of the topics it dives into is this one. So I recommend anybody read that. Jonathan Haidt is one of the co-authors on that book. And just if, you, if you're listening and, th and this kind of thing is interesting or you've seen this in your ministry or in your home, uh, just Google Jonathan Haidt. Uh, he has a newsletter where he writes about this kind of thing pretty regularly, and I'd encourage you to read more. But that's just one example of how social media is really kind of demonstrably showing negative effects on mental health. Yes. Now, we know that technology is not bad. You know, I mean, that's there in the cultural mandate. So technology itself is not bad, but we need to use it responsibly. It can be used incorrectly or irresponsibly and have some negative effects here. And, and you mentioned that in your book. What are some biblical principles regarding the wise use of technology, especially as it applies here to computer technology and social media? That's a great question. I think, frankly, this might seem simple or trite, but I don't intend for it to be. I think my North Star when it comes to this kind of thing is just to consider the fruit of the Spirit. 
you know, as I engage on social media, which look, I've, I was born in 1990. I'm 32. I grew up in the late 90s with a computer in my home because my father worked for IBM, which is, you know, a huge computer company back in the day and was putting computers in people's homes left and right. And so I grew up on the internet. I grew up on social media. I'm kind of the, one of the first generations of teens to be on social media, if you will. And I've engaged in all kinds of foolishness on social media, even once I was a believer (laughs) that I am not, you know, I'm not proud of and certainly doesn't reflect the fruit of the spirit. But as I've gotten older and I've kind of wrestled with this question of, of what are some like principles that Christians need to consider as they engage in any form of online media or technology? I just always, you know, you could, you could list all kinds of things. I think there's, you know, there are all kinds of ways to approach this, but I have just found myself going back to the fruit of the spirit. I mean, look, social media is social before it's anything else, which means at the heart of social media is engaging with other people. You know, a lot of us, you know, if you spend time on certain platforms, you might be engaging with a video or link an article where you're not necessarily chatting back and forth with someone, but you're still engaging. Even if you're watching a YouTuber on YouTube or someone on TikTok, or you're reading an article on the other side of those pieces of content, those pieces of media are people. So even if you're not having a live instant messaging sort of conversation, you're still engaging with someone made in the image of God, and you're still sort of engaging in a social experience, experience, even if you're not actively and and live talking with someone. And so considering the fact that social media is a social experience where we're engaging with other people made in the image of God, I think we need to look to the fruit of the Spirit and consider how love, joy, peace, you know, all of these different fruits color the ways that we engage on on social. And then, of course, you could add wisdom to that, add discernment to that, all kinds of, I think, biblical values that should guide us. But if you're going to start anywhere, you're like, man, how, how should I color? You know, how should I consider my relationship with social media? I would just say, hey, how are you demonstrating the love of Christ on social media? Are you demonstrating patience and how you engage in that argument on Facebook? You know, how are you being gentle or pursuing peace with others on social media? Asking yourself these kinds of questions, I found it to be helpful for me, uh, and I would encourage anyone else uh, to do the same. Yes, and you mentioned the Tower of Babel there in your book, how, you know, as human civilization advanced in technology, but they used that technology uh, to glorify themselves and uh, did not have any regard for God in the development of technology here. And as a result, it led to consequences that they did not expect that were detrimental here. And I think that applies here when it comes to any kind of technology, especially this kind of computer technology, uh, that we need to keep in mind God and his principles that guide our use of technology, lest it lead to consequences we don't expect. You talked about, you know, Steve Jobs and his presentation of the iPhone and that we can now watch our favorite TV or movies, you know, right in our pocket here. That may have led to consequences. None of us, as brilliant mind as Steve Jobs is, uh, led to consequences he could not possibly foresee. Yeah, to be sure. And yeah, I use that illustration of the Tower of Babel in the beginning of the book. I'm not the first or the last person, I think, to compare social media as a sort of human social experiment to the Tower of Babel. But I think it is a very apt comparison and analogy because, yeah, I think so much of social media, though it's uh, the Tower of Babel was a cooperative effort. I'm sure there were dissenters and arguments and all kinds of conflict while building the Tower of Babel that we just aren't necessarily aware of. And social media obviously is a bit of a splintered Maybe it's, social media is like 
a thousand towers of Babel all being built at one time. Or if you even look at it based on the individual user, it's billions of towers of Babel uh, where we're just trying to build ourselves up to touch the gobs, you know, as you, if you will. And so I think what we, it just goes back to as well, that what we talked about earlier, the entertainment and attention and identity sort of flywheel where, you know, if you, the degree to which a lot of us, I think, without even recognizing it, the degree to which we're willing to compromise our values and compromise on on bearing the fruit of the spirit in order to entertain people or get their attention or get them to like us in order to make ourselves feel good. I think our willingness and ability to compromise our values in pursuit of those good feelings that social media makes available is incredibly high and and, and far more prevalent than a lot of us are willing to admit. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism, to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Wait.